All right, good morning and welcome to our Sunday morning service. This is first service, and it's our weekly Bible prophecy update. We have two services on Sunday morning, the first of which is devoted to Bible prophecy, and the second is our verse-by-verse study through the Bible. We're currently in the book of 2 Timothy, and today, Lord willing, we'll complete chapter 3. We are going to live stream that at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. We'd certainly encourage you to join with us. Today, I'm going to talk about what happens in our lives as Christians when we're given over to arguing and fighting. So again, hope you're able to join with us. If you haven't already, you might want to check out our new website at jdfarag.org. We launched phase one. It's still a work in progress. We appreciate your patience with us on this. Uh, We're hoping to uh, launch phase two. So at that time, you should be getting notifications. I know we've had a lot of people ask why they haven't gotten notifications. Again, we appreciate your patience with us and your prayers for us as well. One last thing, very important. We mentioned this last week. I want to make another appeal this week for prayer concerning the antennas on our building. Uh, We have done everything that we can legally per the lease subsequent to the termination of the lease in the sense that we've crossed every legal T and dotted every legal I, as it were. And so now we're just needing to commit it to the Lord. It really is, and this is not hyperbole, it's going to take a miracle (laughs) to get those antennas off of our building. And that's why we're making this appeal for prayer. And specifically, pray, if you will, as often as you do pray, and as the Lord reminds you, very simply and very specifically, Lord, you know, bless this food and get those antennas off the building. That's all you have to do, just like that. And, you know, you don't, God already knows the situation, so we don't need to provide Him with instructions. You know how that is, right? We give Him instructional prayers. You know what instructional prayers are? That's when you pray and then you give God instructions on how to answer the prayer. Oh, I know you don't do that. <laughs> Neither do I, but um, we're all prone to. So we're just praying specifically that they're able to, as soon as possible, identify a new location so that they can remove the antennas and then we can repair the roof, which is leaking currently and damaging the building. So thank you for that. Now let's get to it. A lot to get to today. For today's update, I want to answer the question of what's next, given the swiftness with which everything is happening in the world today. Now, the answer to the what's next question ultimately depends on one's answer to an all-important question concerning the person of Jesus Christ. For those who have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, what's next is the rapture. For those who don't, what's next is the seven-year tribulation. So, There you go. Let's pray. We'll close. Not so fast. I know that seems blunt, but it's the truth. And it's that simple. I hope not too simple. 
See, here's the thing. And I hate to, for lack of a better way of saying it, I hate to say it this way, but we all fall into one of two categories. Either we're saved or we're lost. That's it. That's what it all boils down to. That's what it all comes down to. And here's the thing. I was thinking about this this last week. Really, it's been on my heart for quite some time now, especially recently with everything that's happening. When I look at people, I don't see them as that nationality or this nationality, local or from the mainland, Republican or Democrat, left or right, conservative or liberal. I see them as either saved or lost. And when I do that, and when I see them like that, it changes everything in my heart towards them. See, people are not the enemy. But see, the enemy wants us to believe that people are the enemy. So what Satan has done successfully, might I add, is he has gotten us to fight one with another and do his dirty work for him and instead of him. We wrestle not against flesh and blood people but rather four entities, the Apostle Paul lists there in Ephesians 6, in the demonic realm, wickedness in high places. It is a spiritual battle. And it is for the souls of man. And here's the thing, when the rapture happens, and the rapture will happen, those that are left behind will enter into the last seven years of human history, which will be unspeakable in its horror. And they will face even death for Jesus Christ if they refuse and reject the mark of the Antichrist. That's what happens. Those who do not accept Jesus Christ during the seven-year tribulation, after the rapture, there is that possibility. We affectionately refer to them as tribulation saints. But those who do not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during the seven-year tribulation will spend eternity in hell. Would to God that we would see people in light of eternity, specifically where they will spend eternity. If they're saved, they spend eternity in heaven. If they're lost, they spend eternity in hell. That should make the hair on the back of our neck stand up. Well, at least for those of us that have hair still to stand up. That's chilling, isn't it? And rightfully so. And Here's the thing. I truly believe with all my heart that the rapture of the church is closer than any of us, myself included, can even begin to realize. And if the rapture of the church is that close, and it is, then that means the seven-year tribulation is 
just about to start. We're on the cusp of the commencement of the seven-year tribulation subsequent to the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll kindly allow me to, I want to explain from Scripture as simply and clearly as I possibly can, the reasons as to why it is that we are absolutely that close. And in order to do that, I need to start with what I would argue is one of the first and most important prophecies in all of the Bible, and it's found in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. Here, God has already pronounced His curse on Adam and Eve, and He's going to turn His attention to the serpent, Satan, and pronounce a curse on Satan. And that's what we have here in this verse, and it is so packed with so much. So we're going to try our best to unpack it. God says, verse 15, Genesis 3, and I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed, hang on to that, and her seed. Wait, what? Women don't have seeds. Ah, that's the virgin birth. It is a prophecy about the coming Savior of the world that will be born of a virgin, because it's not the seed of the woman, it's the egg that is fertilized by the seed of the man. That's the virgin birth. Now he's declaring this curse to Satan, and he says to him, he, speaking of Jesus, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I believe that speaks of the crucifixion. But then at the resurrection, Satan defeats once and for all, Satan crushes his head, the head of the snake, if you will. Now, I want to draw your attention to the often overlooked mention of the seed of the serpent. Now, we usually, and rightfully so, focus on the seed of the woman because it's the virgin birth. It's been affectionately referred to as the proto-evangelicum, the first mention of the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But often overlooked is this mention of Satan's seed. What's up with that? Well, I think we would do well to look at this, because it's going to be germane to our understanding of what the Lord has put on my heart to share with you today. It speaks to how Satan, throughout human history, has sought to corrupt the human DNA with what seems to be his seed, as it were. Were Satan to do this, think about this, he would in effect corrupt man's DNA, which would mean that it was no longer human. 
Stay with me. Thus, if man's DNA is no longer human, then man can no longer be redeemed. This by virtue of the fact that Jesus came as fully God and fully man, human, to redeem man. So if mankind's DNA is not human, then it's outside the scope of redemption. That's the why behind the what. Okay, so now the question becomes one of whether or not we have any scriptural evidence of this seed of Satan corrupting the human DNA. And the answer is an astounding yes. And we need look no further than to the book of Genesis again, this time the sixth chapter. I want to read verses one through four. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. Verse 4, listen, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes, mighty giants of old, men of renown. You'll forgive the frankness with which I say this, but these are demons that have sexual intercourse with women, human women, and bore children from them, and in so doing corrupted the human DNA, which was Satan's purpose from the very beginning, for the aforementioned reasons. It was because the human DNA was corrupted, that God destroyed the earth with a flood in the days of Noah. Let's go to Genesis 6, beginning in verse 8. I'll read through to verse 12. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah, genetics, genome of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect. That word perfect does not mean Noah was perfect. No one's perfect. <laughs> Jesus was the only one that was perfect. This word perfect, speaking of Noah, carries with it the idea of intact. In other words, Noah's genetics Noah's genes, genome, was intact, humanly. That's what that means. In his generations, again, the root word is genes. 
generations, genetics, generationally. Noah walked with God. And verse 10, Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh, humankind, had corrupted their way on the earth. We have another question. The question now is, what does this have to do with us today? I'm so glad you asked. Thankfully, Jesus Himself provides the answer in a prophecy that's recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 37. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, there are many parallels between Noah's day and our day, but I believe none are as prophetically significant as the corruption of man's DNA in our day. And here's why. If the world today is like Noah's day, and it is, then Satan would need to have his DNA corrupting seed at the ready. And he does. How? Oh, by way of the DNA corrupting seed in a yet future vaccine. I say yet future because the vaccine that's being rolled out now cannot yet be the mark of the beast that's foretold of in the book of Revelation. And here's why. The reason it cannot yet be the mark of the beast is because according to Bible prophecy, the Antichrist will demand worship and force all to take his mark on their forehead or forehand, sealing their fate dooming them and damning them for all eternity. Are you connecting those dots? Why? Because their DNA is no longer human. They cannot be redeemed. They are now damned. And this is exactly what Satan is wanting to accomplish, and he will accomplish it in large measure in the tribulation. Now, there are many passages of Scripture that speak prophetically to this. Daniel 9, 2 Thessalonians 2, and particularly Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. What's interesting about Revelation 13, 16 and 17 is that we're told the mark will be forced and coerced. That's, that's key. That's significant. And the reason I mention that and emphasize that is because I would suggest that said forcing and coercing is already beginning to happen. Um, 
I asked this question more than once. I think the last time I did was last week. Probably every week I asked this question, so I might as well ask it again this week. Don't you find it interesting that nobody is like standing in line to get this vaccine? In fact, the opposite is true. What blankets my news feed is, I'm sure, the same thing that blankets your news feed. Uh, oh, <laughs> they have a, a word for it, a phrase for it. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you know what those of us who have no intentions of taking this vaccine are called? Oh, it, it, right now it's being called vaccine hesitancy. Hesitancy, that's kind of an understatement. <laughs> Another uh, label put on us is anti-vaxxers. No, you're one of them. Yeah. I'm sorry, I got a little bit carried away on that. Perhaps this is as good of a time as any to mention that speaking for myself personally, I will never take this vaccine. Now, please know that I would never take the posture of telling you what to do, but I will never take this vaccine. Now, I am keenly aware that there are those who will have their very livelihood threatened if they don't take this vaccine. And one of the most often asked questions we get is, if I do take the vaccine, have I taken the mark of the beast? And I cannot say this clear enough, you have not. It is not yet the mark of the beast. So, and, and oh, by the way, if you're born again of the Spirit of God, you are sealed. It's a done deal, kind of rhymes seal the deal. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's uh, anyway, sorry. But let's get back to our question. Wouldn't, wouldn't it stand to reason that if this virus, which I believe there is a virus, but oh, uh, parenthetically, uh, forgive me if I'm discombobulated here. <laughs> here, <laughs> you always are. Okay. Um, but the CDC, I don't know if you know this or not, the CDC changed their definition of what a pandemic is prior to this. <laughs> There's no pandemic. There's no pandemic. Is there a virus? I believe there is a virus. But this brings up another question. Bear with me. I mean, is it just me, or has the flu virus completely vanished? Okay, it's not just me then. Isn't that interesting? What a miracle. We have eradicly, eradicated the influenza virus. Wow! Well, then why do I still need to take a flu shot? Oh. Okay, so let's get back to our question. It's a good question, isn't it? Wouldn't you think that people would be clamoring for, standing in line for, begging for this vaccine? They're not. 
they're having to be convinced, persuaded. There's a hesitancy. In fact, some of the statistics, you can't believe I'm getting to the point where I just, I can't believe anything anymore. The only thing I can believe is God's Word. That, that's the truth. That's the only truth. But why pray tell if this virus was as deadly as we're being told it is? It's a lie. But why is it then that they would have to convince the masses to take the vaccine? I happened upon this screenshot this last week, thought it was interesting. It shows former presidents Clinton, Bush, and Obama, all of whom are offering to get vaccinated on TV. Really? Why? Oh, because we want to show you that it's safe. Okay. Listen, I'm I've never been the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, <laughs> but come on. Are you kidding me? Do you think I'm that stupid? Did somebody just say, yeah? <laughs> Not you. They, they think we're that stupid. They must. Wow. I walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> well, you asked, we answered. Okay. You know, to me, this is starting to look an awful lot like, not Christmas, <laughs> but it's starting to look an awful lot like the satanic deception and strong delusion that's prophesied in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read verses 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve, listen, the lie. Hang on to that. I want to come back to that. The lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love, notice the contrast, the truth, the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. I'll say it again. That's what's next. For those who have not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the lie. It's not what is the lie, it's who is the lie. And who 
is the lie is none other than Satan himself. Jesus is the truth. Satan is the lie. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty narrow. Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many will go thereof. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few will go thereof. You know what's interesting is that the Apostle Paul, prior to what we just read in 2 Thessalonians about this powerful delusion that will be so powerful, so strong, so deceptive, that people who are perishing will believe the lie. By the way, that in part to me explains why it is that people actually believe this. It's because of the strong delusion that's already here in some measure. Because it serves the lie. But prior to Paul writing about this strong delusion, you know what he writes about prior that happens first? Again, I'm so glad you asked. You you asked, right? (laughs) He talks about the rapture. Happens first. The church has to be removed before the Antichrist can be revealed. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll read verses 1 through 4. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and notice this, our being gathered to Him, not Him coming to us. That's the second coming. This is the rapture. We're gathered and caught up to Him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Stop right there. What if I told you that that's happening right now too? Some 2,000 years later, There are those who are saying, we're already in the tribulation. No, we're not. No, we're not. Don't be unsettled. Don't be alarmed. And now Paul is going to tell us why. And this is the Word of God, and the Word of God has the final word. God has the final word. Okay? So, verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And I'm sure the Apostle Paul said it just like that too. (laughs) Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the departure occurs. Now some of you are looking at me going, wait a minute, Pastor, it says falling away in my Bible. Okay, just hang on, hang on. That day will not come until the departure 
rapture occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He, speaking of the Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This comports, we've talked about this, I won't go into this, Daniel 9.27, at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist, in the newly rebuilt temple, which I am convinced will be part of the peace agreement. And it will be, I think, chiefly why it is that Israel will agree, is because they get to rebuild their temple. And it will happen at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. And at the exact midpoint of that seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will commit the abomination that causes desolation, and he will declare himself to be God. That's what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians about here in 2 Thessalonians 2. It's what Daniel the prophet wrote about in chapter 9, verse 27. So let's get back to this verse 3. For those who are interested, we have YouTube videos of our verse-by-verse study through Second Thessalonians, and particularly our study of chapter 2, verse 3. We actually devoted an entire teaching to it back on June 14th. In it we covered three reasons as to why what many refer to as the falling away is actually the rapture of the church. Oh, pastor, are you dogmatic about it? Yes, I am. Wait, are you saying with a certainty that 2 Thessalonians 2.3, because if it is, that, that, that's a game changer, right? And by the way, uh, doesn't that settle you? I know it does me. I mean, you know, you know what our news feed is going to be tomorrow. The vaccines are rolled out tomorrow, right? You know that, yeah? So that settles me. That settles me because I know I'm anchored in the truth of God's Word that the rapture has to happen first. See, if I'm unsettled, if I'm (laughs) wishy-washy, I used that expression one time, and somebody said, I'm not wishy-washy, I'm watchy-watchy. I really like that. I'm (laughs) watchy-watchy. If if I'm wishy-washy on this, oh, I'm going to be tossed to and fro. I'm back and forth. I'm up and down. It's ambiguous. It's unclear. It's uncertain. No. It's clear. It's certain. This is why it is so important to not only know what you believe, but to know why you believe what you believe, and to be able to tell people why. And by the way, please, don't say to people, hey, the rapture is going to happen next, and it has to happen first, because my pastor J.D. said so. Don't do that. (laughs) You should be able to give to everyone an answer of that hope, that blessed hope, that lies within you, that the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured up, to meet the Lord in the air. Well, (laughs) here's where I'm going with all this. 
everything that we know from Scripture that will ultimately be fulfilled in the seven-year tribulation, it's already beginning to happen now. Right? Would you agree with that? Everything that we see that is going to be fulfilled ultimately in and during the seven-year tribulation, it's already beginning to come to pass now. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Now, hang in there with me, please. I'm keenly aware that what I'm about to say will lead some to think that I've lost my marbles. <laughs> of course, that presupposes that I had marbles in the first place, but um, I have to say it nonetheless. I believe that the rapture will be explained as an alien abduction. And there, see, Satan's not stupid. He's very intelligent, a very intelligent created being. And he's already and has been for quite some time now, for actually decades now, preparing mankind for this. And I just have to go on record and say emphatically that UFOs, unidentified flying objects, those are demons. Aliens, extraterrestrials, they're demons. They're demons. I'm going to take it a step further. I mean, might as well, I, you know, <laughs> since all the marbles are already gone. I'm going to take it a step further and suggest that what we know as AI, artificial intelligence, I think that's demons too. That is not necessarily just artificial intelligence. I think it's demonic intelligence. I'm going to leave that one right there and just let the Holy Spirit take it from there. So, <laughs> but think about this. The rapture happens. All of these people are gone. And they're going to say, all right, finally, they're out of the way. They've been taken out of the way. And now that they're out of the way, the dawn of the new age of Aquarius can begin. What? Wow, pastor, I'm, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> On Thursday, the Times of Israel published a report about an Israeli space chief who headed Israel's space security programs for 30 years, claiming that aliens exist and, get this, that Israel and the U.S. have long been in contact with them. Also on Thursday, the Jerusalem Post reported on this, saying of this space scientist, that he explained Israel and the U.S. 
have both been dealing with aliens, demons for years. The 87-year-old former head of the Defense Ministries Space Division gave further descriptions about exactly what sort of agreements have been made between the aliens, demons, and the U.S., which ostensibly have been made because they wish to research and understand the fabric of the universe. If true, this would coincide with U.S. President Donald Trump's creation of the Space Force as the fifth branch of the U.S. Armed Forces, though it is unclear how long this sort of relationship, if any, has been going on between the U.S. and its reported extraterrestrial allies, demons. But Eshed insists that Trump is aware of them and that he was, quote, on the verge of disclosing their existence. However, the Galactic Federation reportedly stopped him from doing so, saying they wished to prevent mass hysteria. As for why he's chosen to reveal this information now, Eshet explained that the timing was simply due to how much the academic landscape has changed and how respected he is in academia. He explained, quote, if I had come up with what I'm saying today, five years ago, I would have been hospitalized. <laughs> Speaking of being hospitalized, I might as well mention this as well. It's being dubbed the Christmas star. In eight days from today, on December 21st, did you hear about this? Which happens to be the winter solstice. <laughs> Listen, I, I've not lost it. I want you to know, I still have a couple of marbles left. But on Monday, the Sun posted an article about the merging of Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius, forming a rare once-in-a-lifetime space event. Here's a quote. Jupiter and Saturn will come so close together this month, they'll form a rare double planet phenomenon for the first time in 800 years. Some people are referring to the event as the forming of a Christmas star or star of Bethlehem, while others are linking it to the apocalypse. Of course they are. And they always do, and it gives Christianity and certainly teachers and students of Bible prophecy a bad name. No one knows the day or the hour. We cannot know. Now, why do I bring this up? Because it should be noted that New Agers see this as the dawn of the age of Aquarius. If you're careful and prudent, 
I would recommend that you go online and just see what some of the New Agers are saying about this event on the 21st. It's very interesting. They see this as synonymous with the Great Awakening. We've talked about this before. Actually, even more broadly, the world as a whole will see said Great Awakening as the phoenix rising out of the ashes, bringing order out of chaos. That's the lie. And oh, by the way, it's on the back of the one dollar bill. This right here. You knew that, right? Here's the truth. This is a false Luciferian light, which by the way, that's what Lucifer means, light bearer. This is a, he masquerades as an angel of light. This is a false Luciferian light out of darkness under the banner of the great reset, which is the great deception. It's the great lie. For the benefit of those unfamiliar with the great reset, let me simply say that it's not only a great deception, 2 Thessalonians 2, it will be realized in the great tribulation vis-a-vis a digital ID and a merging of artificial intelligence, which will ultimately lead to transhumanism, where no longer is man's DNA human. It's transhuman. Just like in Noah's day, when the demons had sexual intercourse with the women, corrupting the bloodline, the DNA, so too will the demons today, like in Noah's day, corrupt the human DNA. And it's already happening. I don't want to, let me say it like this, I would encourage you, do your own research. Listen, if I can research this, you can research this, okay? I, I have only a high school graduation, and actually barely I have, a, and I'm not proud of that, but I barely graduated high school. So if I can understand this, you can understand this. And don't take my word for this. Do your own research. I would encourage you and caution you to be very careful and very prudent. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of whacked out stuff out there. But God will give you discernment. Ask God for discernment. And always, always, always view everything through the lens of Scripture. This is the final authority, the final word. So, the reason I believe the rapture is (laughs) so close 
is because all of this is already, even now, as we speak, happening at breakneck speed. And it's been planned for many years. Back in May of 2019, Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, spoke at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs about what's being called the fourth industrial revolution. Now at first you think, oh, cool. No, it's not. <laughs> Listen to this quote from this conference in which Schwab explains what, in fact, the fourth industrial revolution actually is. I'm quoting. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. What is our biological identity? DNA. DNA. Wait a minute, Pastor. Let me. I think I'm getting it, but can you explain this? Okay, I'll try to I'll try to explain it this way, as simply as I can. Satan in the tribulation will succeed in corrupting human DNA. And it will be done by way of demonic intelligence and a corrupting of the DNA biologically. And it's already happening. It's happening now. And that's why I believe the rapture can happen now, is because if this is already happening now, and the rapture has to happen first, and it does, then that means the rapture can happen at any time. Yeah, that's my point. Pastor, couldn't you have made that point without having to go through? No, I could not. I had to go through all of that to make my point. That's the bottom line. As I mentioned at the beginning, it's not just that all of this is happening now, it's the swiftness with which everything is happening now. I think it would stand a reason that it's now just a matter of time before we go up and sudden destruction goes down. Let me say that again a different way. Simultaneously, as swiftly as everything is beginning to come to pass now, is an indicator, it would stand a reason that it would indicate that when sudden destruction comes down, we go up. 1 Thessalonians 5.3, you know this well. While people are saying, peace and safety, peace and security, same word in the original, translated security or safety. Destruction 
will come on, keyword, them, suddenly. That's the thing about sudden destruction. It's sudden. I know that's deeply profound, but that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen suddenly. And Paul likens it to, as the Savior did before him, labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they, again, key word, will not escape. The implication, <laughs> we will. So you got this sudden destruction coming down, and they will not escape, but we will escape in what I like to call the great escape, the rapture of the church. We, not they, Paul delineates all throughout the epistle, really, in his first and second epistle, actually, to the Thessalonians. He delineates between we and they. They will not escape. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. Rapturous in the Latin Vulgate, harpazo in the Greek. I like rapturous, transliterated rapture better. It just sounds faster. Rapture. Harpazo seems slower. Harpazo, you know, kind of, kind of like a bean, you know, garbanzo beans and harpazo beans. And I like rapture a lot better. We will escape. They will not. When sudden destruction comes. When will sudden destruction come? While they're saying two words, peace and safety. Interesting, safety. Health? Hmm. Kind of changes the complexion of it a little bit, doesn't it? Can I give you some homework? Why not? Isaiah 24. I would really encourage you to spend some time in the entirety of Isaiah chapter 24. I actually wanted to spend a little bit more time in it and on it, but I'll just in the interest of time read verse 1. This is what's next. This is what's coming to this world. And on those who will not escape, See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It's coming. It's coming. Second Peter chapter 3. I want to read verses 3 through 9. The Apostle Peter, by the Holy Spirit, is writing, and I think it's just so apropos for us today. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But, and this is interesting, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's Word, the heavens came into being 
And the earth was formed out of water and by water, by these waters also. The world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That's the flood in Noah's day. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment. And here's that word again, destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That sums it up. It's not God's will that any should perish. God does not take delight in judging or punishing the wicked. God takes delight in people coming to repentance and a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think that's the clarion call for us today. That he who has an ear hear what the Spirit would say to the church. What's the Spirit of God saying to the church of God? Repent. Repent. Judgment is coming. This is no time to be playing around. There's no time to be playing Christianity, playing church. Eternity is at the door. The rapture of the church is at the door. And it can happen at any time. There's nothing that needs to happen before the rapture happens. This in large measure is the chief reason that we've been doing these weekly prophecy updates for all of these years, is to sound the alarm, blow the trumpet of warning. And to always end with the good news the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, and a simple childlike explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. You're free to go because Jesus came and died for you instead of you. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again soon, one day. That's the good news. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and also 1 Thessalonians, by the way. What are the ABCs? The ABCs are just a simple way to explain the gift of eternal life, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a simple acronym. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you sinned, that you need the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, 
There is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why, as Jesus said, we must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Romans 6.23 should be written on the tablet of every one of our hearts. And this is what I mean by when you look at people, you have to ask yourself, are they saved? Because if they're not saved, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Actually, that's second service. I don't want to preach second service right now. But I am going to say it. This is what we're going to talk about. You're welcome to stay. Of course, after I say this, you may not want to, but <laughs> help me, Holy Spirit. I want my words to be seasoned with grace. People are dying and going to hell. And we're arguing. And we're fighting with everyone about everything. We're posting and blasting blasphemy on social media in the name of Christ. We're arguing with the saved. We should be reaching the lost. Maybe I just need to share from my own heart how God has changed my heart in this regard. I'm just as guilty as the next guy, if not more so, when it comes to this. But God just convicted my heart. Don't you realize that when you argue with the saved instead of reaching the lost, you're doing Satan's bidding? You're doing his will. We're going to see that in 2 Timothy, verse 26, chapter 3. Paul is sort of pleading. He says, you know, Timothy, we need to pray that they come to their senses. They don't realize they've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. What's the devil's will? To seek, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your witness. I want to ask you this question. I ask it of myself. How do you expect to win somebody to Jesus Christ that you've just got done blasting on social media? How, 
How are you going to win them to the Lord? How are you going to share with them the Lord when you're posting stuff like that? Shame on you. Shame on me. And we're arguing about everything. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. The lost watch us. We're like, really? I don't want nothing to do with that Jesus. Romans 6.23 says it all. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The saved in Christ go up in the rapture. The lost go into the seven-year tribulation. That's the bottom line. That sums it up. The B is for believing your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might, not you could, not you should. No, you will be saved. The jury is no longer out. The verdict is in. It is finished. Not guilty. I'm not guilty? No. How's that possible? Because you're now justified in Christ. And that's the C. The C is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why, and here's how. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And by the way, here's the thing. Every tongue is going to confess. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Now, those who confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord now, you confess unto salvation. If you don't confess unto salvation, the day is coming when your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it will be to damnation. You see the difference? And lastly, Romans 10.13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I implore you, I plead with you, I beg of you, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. As Isaiah says, seek Him while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Do not put off the most important decision of your life for eternal life. The time is at hand. The time is at hand. I want to follow up lastly. Just give me two more minutes if you don't mind. Last week it was an exciting announcement of 
this new website from dear friends of mine, Jim and Chris Cote of the Master's Touch Print and Mail. And we set it up so that you can provide up to five names and addresses at no cost to have mailers of the ABCs of salvation sent to your loved ones. Now, anyone who's already provided five names from last week, by the way, those went out on Thursday of last week, you're able to provide five more names and they will mail the second of three mailers to those people that you provide the addresses for. They'll mail postcard number two to every name they already have and to every new name that they receive. Now we provided the link below in the description field. Again, you can go there. If you have additional names you wish to send to, now's the time to add up to five more names. So they'll get the second mail piece and also the people that received the first one, anonymously by the way, that doesn't mean that you know, the Lord's not going to lead you to follow up with them, but they will receive this mailer. So by this Thursday coming up, which by the way is not Christmas Eve, right? (laughs) So you know, just don't make that mistake. By next Thursday, this Thursday, they'll do mailing number two, and then same day upload the final of the three pieces, which will actually be a greeting card. Now, they estimate that between six to 7,000 mailings have went out of the first mail piece, and we're anticipating that this number will increase. Praise the Lord for that. Also, this is interesting, I'm told that there have been numerous inquiries from other churches as well that want to do this. And so, Lastly, we would encourage you to share this on social media and get the word out. And let's reach the lost. The proverb says, and I'll close with this. Uh, by the way, next week I want to, we have so many people, I didn't get to it today, but Lord willing, next week I want to share with you some of the amazing creative ways that people are getting the gospel out and reaching the lost with the ABCs of salvation. It is so cool. And so Lord willing, I'll be able to share that uh, with you next week. But the Proverbs say that he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Why don't you all stand and we'll pray. Thank you for your patience, by the way. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, thank you for Bible prophecy. It's really a a gauge, a barometer by which we can measure the spiritual temperature of this world in these last days. It's an indicator for us as to just how close your return for us is. And Lord, as we look at the world around us, and then we see what we've seen here today in your word and how it all connects together, there's only one conclusion that we can come to, 
And that conclusion is that exactly what you told us would happen before it happens is now beginning to happen, exactly as you said it would. And so Lord, I pray that the needed effect that this will have is twofold. First, for those who are lost, that today they will call upon you and be saved. That today would be the day of their salvation. And secondly, Lord, for those of us who are saved, and I'll include myself in this, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. We repent. We repent. Lord, and we commit that we're going to get serious. Because the day we're in is life and death serious for all eternity. Thank you, Lord. And Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.